Sadly, most of us in the church these days only seem to think we've been saved from something. Seldom do we ever consider what we've been saved to. And that's what we'll do today here on this edition of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Join us. When we speak of being saved, more often than not, sadly, most think of it as fire insurance. We've been saved from something, saved from eternal damnation, and saved from hell, but oftentimes we end up living as if it doesn't really matter, as if there's nothing we've been saved to. And today, here on Graceful Truth, our focus will be on what we've been saved to, that of our own God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, heaven. Won't you join us? Preciousness of heaven is what we're focused on this week and next here on Graceful Truth. A look at what we've been saved to. Here now with today's broadcast from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, our teacher and pastor now. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. If God were to appear right now and say, hey, I'm here to take you home, I think some of us would want to say, well, just a second. <laughs> Let me, I just got a couple things I got to do first. Let me kiss my wife goodbye. Let, let me kiss my grandkids goodbye. Let me just take care of a couple quick things. That's almost what our reaction would be. And, and so I thought this morning, I just want to talk um, about the preciousness of heaven, of what that should mean to us as believers. Because I think today in our day and age, we throw the word around, you know, you hear it all the time. And it's synonymous with, you might say, beauty and comfort and peace and satisfaction and contentment. And it's used to describe a lot of different things. I've sat with folks at a dinner after Thanksgiving, and I've heard the comment, oh, this meal was just heavenly. And I'm sure you've heard similar things. Or the scenery. You know, you go up to Yosemite, a place like that, man, it just looks like heaven. There's even an ice cream called Heavenly Hash. I don't know what's in it, but that's what it's called. But see, heaven is far more than just the way we describe something. It's far more than just an attitude about life. We really have to stop and begin to understand that heaven is a place. It's a real place that God has prepared for those who put their faith and trust in him. The people of God go there after they die. It's God's home. It's, and, and, and the Bible speaks of heaven sometimes in generality, sometimes in detail. But it's full of details about heaven. And I think we're just left down here on this world, and we forget that there's a place awaiting for us called heaven. You can go into any Christian bookstore or any secular bookstore and go to the spirituality section and see all sorts of stuff on heaven. Some of it, to be honest with you, is pretty whacked out. There's one guy that said he went to heaven. He also went to hell. He made it back from both. I don't understand that. But, and so he's on this circuit, and he's talking about this. And he says, oh, yeah, in heaven, you know, there was, Jesus met me up there, and he took me to this room, and it was cold, and it had all these these like lockers in it, and it was like a meat locker, and it had all these body parts. Then this is in heaven. Oh, yeah, and, and what these are, I asked him, what is this? And he said, well, this is where all the body parts are that people aren't claiming by faith down there that need healed. They're up here, they're just waiting. They're just body parts waiting for them to have. And so, you know, here's a set of eyes, here's an arm, here's a leg, and just by faith, you just got to name it and claim it, and that, that eye or that leg will be sent down to them right from this meat locker up in heaven. I mean, it's crazy. And yet, you know, this guy's... Made, a, made an occupation about sharing his trip to heaven. And there's other people that have written the same thing about hell. You know, they've gone to hell and they've come back. Subjects like heaven and angels and eternal life and all that, you have to have a biblical perspective 
on that stuff, or you're going to get way off in left field. I heard someone say one time, you know, I'd rather be in hell with my friends than in heaven with all those church people. That's sad. You know, and it really shows kind of a, a sad attitude, a flippant attitude about the horrors of hell, first of all. But it also grossly underestimates the glorious blessedness that awaits us in heaven. And today we live in such a society that we want everything right now. It's here and now. It's just so ridiculous how reliant we become on certain things. You don't have email for two days. Oh, my goodness. You know, you just can't deal with life anymore. It's a life crisis. Your computer goes down. What are you going to do? It's silly. But we're so tied in to this here and now mentality. I want what I want, and I want it now. It doesn't matter what it is. We're not willing to put anything off into the future. We want instant gratification, it seems, in our society. And we're glad to sacrifice the future on the the altar of the immediate. We do that with our finances. We do that in every area of our life. We don't want to wait for anything. And so we have this instant gratification that's going on. And what has happened is it's kind of crept into the church to the point where even back then, Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, he calls us to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And that was before they had email. That was before they had computers and cars and all that fancy stuff. And yet they still had a problem. The human nature wants to cling to what's around it. And it's, the human nature has a hard time conceiving of a place called heaven that we've, we've never seen, we've never visited, we've never been there. And yet the Bible says that it awaits us. And so just by default, our human nature says, yeah, we just put that off. I'm not really interested in knowing much about heaven. We're not committed to laying up treasures in heaven, as the Bible says. But rather, we lay up our treasure here on earth. You know, there's certain television and radio preachers that are very good at that. You know, they have a great amount of success by promising people that Jesus wants them rich now, healthy now, wealthy now, successful now. It's called the prosperity gospel. And it's from the pit of hell. I'll just say it, I, you know, that's where it's from. Jesus had no, no time for that kind of stuff. But it's very popular today because why? It meets people's felt needs. They want all their goodies now. And they feel that if they can put God up there and we can just go up there and demand stuff and he has to give it to us, well, that's great. But the church in America in general doesn't have heaven on its mind, unfortunately. And I'm guilty of that as well. We all are. And as a result, our lives tend to be much more indulgent, much more self-centered, much more weak. So I, this morning, I just wanted to look at some of the things that await us in heaven. Some of the things that await us in heaven. And it's, it's amazing when you stop and you think about the description of heaven in the Bible. Because over and over and over again, God lays out for us what he means when he's talking about heaven, what he's... Uh, referring to. You know, the, the, the word heaven occurs in Scripture about 550 times. You've heard this phrase, you know, you're so, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, unfortunately, that's not the, the attitude that's in the church today. Today, it's almost like they're, they're so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. It's just almost reversed. Everything about churches today is how can we make them successful? How can we bring this mentality that's out there in the world and bring it into the church so that we can just have more people? Because if we just have more people, then we'll be looking as successful. And, and you know, God's not concerned about that. He's just not. You see it in Scripture over and over again. He doesn't want the church to become some business that's run by a CEO and, and the business practices of the world. It's not that way at all. But the Bible speaks of heaven over and over and over again, some 550 times, as I said. And it's interesting to think that, you know, it actually describes heaven as, there's, there's three of them, three different kinds of heaven in Scripture. 
If you turn over to 2 Corinthians with me, 2 Corinthians, just kind of in way here, quick introduction, 2 Corinthians 12, just so we know we're all talking about the same thing. 2 Corinthians 12, and you look there at, at verse 1, he has a, a vision here, Paul's having a vision, 2 Corinthians 12, he says, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up, look at what it says, to the third heaven. So that must mean there's three heavens. That's what he says. He says that's the third heaven. Well, what's the first heaven? The first one's basically what the Bible describes as the atmospheric heaven. What's all around us, the air we breathe, the space immediately between earth, Above, above Earth and the, uh, you know, the atmosphere up there. Scientifically, they call it the trophosphere. But the Bible talks about that as referring to it as heaven. And that's called the first heaven. The atmosphere around the world, around the Earth. It's the air we breathe. It's our environment in which we live. In Isaiah 55, 9, it says, As the heavens are higher than the Earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven talking about the first heaven. The first heaven is that atmospheric heaven where the rain, the snow, all the climate, all that stuff takes place. So they don't return there without watering the earth and making it bear sprouts and furnishing seed. And and that's the whole hydrological cycle that we see going on. Psalm 147.8, it says that God covers the heaven with clouds, provides rain for the earth. That's the atmospheric heaven. Well, there's a second heaven. The second heaven, Scripture refers to, is, is basically this, this planetary area. The area where the stars and the moon and the planets move about up there. That's called the second heaven. In fact, if you all go all the way back to the book of Genesis, God says, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. That's what he was talking about. He goes on to say, and he says, lights... Two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. It says he made the stars also and placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And again, heaven there is the heaven of planets. It's the heaven of the stars, the, the sun, the moon, all that stuff. And the psalmist refers to that as well. And that's called the second heaven. Well, there's actually a third heaven. The third heaven is even beyond the second heaven. And this is what we'd call the divine heaven. This is where God dwells. Where's it at? It's up. Doesn't really tell us where it's at. You know, you can't Google. It'd be kind of nice going map quest and Google it. You know, heaven, where's it at? You know, give me directions. I want to get there. It doesn't work that way. Okay, it's not that clear. There's only, only one way to heaven. It's only one direction you have to know, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. It's not multiple ways. There's not back doors into heaven or side doors or whatever. I remember when I first came to church here, you know, I finally made my way downstairs and Went to the end of the hallway downstairs, and I'm thinking, gosh, where's this go, you know? I started, and the lights were burned out down there in, that, in the stairs, in the stairwell that comes out up here. I didn't know that. And I'm just down there kind of walking. I felt like I was walking for five minutes in a circle. It just, like, I kept on turning, and, and I'm thinking, where can this go? You know, I've looked at this building from the outside. It doesn't seem like this staircase can be that long. But when it's dark... And you have no, you know, buddy showing you the way, you get kind of unnerved. I finally got up here and I stumbled in. And I remember trying to open up the door to the left, which is the old uh, sound system stuff that's in there. And I'm thinking, wait, this isn't a door. And finally, I, you know, kind of ran into this thing and ended up trying to push it. And then I had to pull it. And, and finally got out here and I'm thinking, wow, that is weird. But I just remember being in that darkness and thinking, where does this thing lead? But it only led to one place. It led right out here. 
You know, I didn't end up over there by the nursery. I mean, it wasn't like a tunnel thing. It was, it was very clear when I turned the lights on. Oh, wow, it just goes around like this. And I wasn't in there five minutes. I was probably in there five seconds. But, you know, it was a new place. It was kind of dark, and I was confused, and it was just kind of unnerving. That's so, so much similar to people in the world. Okay, they're caught in darkness. They, they, they don't know where they're going or how they're going to get there or anything. But we're here to tell them the gospel, which says the only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this heaven we're talking about is this third heaven. It's where God dwells. It's where he dwells with his holy angels. And that's where he dwells with the saints of all the ages who have been redeemed. That's the heaven we want to concentrate on. That's where God lives. You know, people say, well... You know, I've heard this so many times at funerals. Well, I know she's just up there looking down on us. No, she's not. You think the trivial things of this world would capture her attention when she's in the presence of the very creator God that saved her? I don't think so. I don't think they even have a clue what's going on down there. They don't really care. Sometimes that may be hard to hear because somehow we want to hold on that, you know, they're, they're watching us. and No, they're not. They're so caught up in the presence of of God, that they wouldn't even give this a second thought. That's where God dwells, is in this third heaven. Well, it's interesting to me that when you talk about the third heaven, there's certain things that have been counted as precious, and they're already there. And I've listed them for you there in your notes. The first thing, this precious, that should make heaven precious to us, is because what resides there, first of all, is our Father, our Heavenly Father resides there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says, pray then in this way, Jesus said, our Father who what? Art where? In heaven. Okay, well, he's not talking about the air. He's not talking about the stars. He's talking about the third heaven. He's talking about where God himself dwells. Hallowed be thy name. Our Father dwells there. Father, our Father is in heaven. And in a very real sense, the one who is the source of everything for us, God himself is in heaven. Well, secondly, not only is our Father in heaven, but our Savior is in heaven. Jesus Christ is in heaven. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 said, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but what? Into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. All right? He's our mediator. He's the one that's up there at the right hand of the Father. So beware the next time you are shaving and you say, wow, Jesus appeared to me. <laughs> Jesus is in heaven. That's where he's at. So our Father's in heaven. Our Savior's in heaven. This is a blessed thing. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, says to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Not only is our Father in heaven, our Savior in heaven, but our brothers and sisters in Christ, in the faith, are in heaven. Old Testament saints are there. New Testament saints are there. Everyone's there. Everyone who has died in Christ or had faith in God in the Old Testament is in heaven. I wasn't always taught that. I was taught that people in the Old Testament go to this other place, Abraham's bosom or whatever they called it. And it's really not, from what I see, Scripture. I think people absent from the body, present with the Lord. So our brothers and sisters in Christ are in heaven. In Luke chapter 10... It's very interesting in verse 20, and you don't have to look up all these verses. I put the references there, but you can look them up later. It says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, referring to his disciples who were casting out demons, but rejoice that what? Your names are recorded in heaven. 
Not only our Father, our Savior, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but our names as believers are recorded in heaven. That's kind of interesting to me. That God's already taken role. And our name is there if we've trusted in Christ. What does that mean? It means that we have a title deed to some property there. That's what it means. It's kind of like some of you probably own maybe property or have a title deed to some property, maybe in Arizona or back back east or midwest or wherever you know you came from and you have this deed and it has your name on it and it has the property location on it. And probably at any time you could take that deed and you could go back there to a real estate agent and say, hey, here's a deed to my property. I want to sell it. He doesn't look at you and say, well, who are you? He looks at the paper that you give him, the title deed, and he says, oh, okay, you're, you're Mr. Swanson. You're Mr. Simon. You're whoever you are. Your name's on this and this property surely is you. So if you want to sell it, you can sell it. It's your property. Well, that's the same thing as having our name recorded in heaven. It's a title deed to some property there. You didn't know you owned property, did you? Not even in California. You own it in heaven. I mean, what a better place. I mean, you know, the big thing is to own property in California. That's nothing. That's nothing to what awaits us in glory. Our names are written down. We're citizens of that place. Fifthly, not only our father, savior, brothers, sisters, our names, but the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says that our inheritance is in heaven. That's where it awaits us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Why, why is that? I mean, think of all those words to describe that. It's imperishable. Yeah, there's nothing here on earth that's imperishable. Undefiled. Won't fade away. It's reserved. Where? In heaven for you. That's what it says. And who's reserving it? God himself. God himself is reserving it. You ever gone out to eat and you put your, your name in and you get to the restaurant and you say, yeah. Oh, yes, we have uh, appointments at 6.30. Oh, name, Converse. You know, and you have maybe a group of people with you, and you're, I call the head, you know. And the lady behind the counter, or the man, is, oh, sorry, sir, you're not on the list. Talk about an embarrassing situation. It's like, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? You know, I'm not on the list. They called, and, no, you must have the wrong day, whatever. Well, we'll see if we can maybe find you a table. We, you know, it's kind of an embarrassing, it's not going to happen. When we get to heaven... It's going to be, yep, right here. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you have a place reserved. Your inheritance is there. And it's never going to fade away. All the riches of God's glory and his grace are set aside for you and me and all who put their faith and trust in Christ. And they're there in heaven. They're not here. They're just not here. So when someone passes on and they know the Lord, our first thing is that, ah, gee, I wish. No, praise God. I mean, would it be that we would sit here this morning and say, man, I hope I'm next. What have you heard a Christian say that? Yeah, oh God, I hope you take me next. See, we lose our perspective of what awaits us. We really do. I mean, we get more excited about going on a vacation than we do about going to heaven. We've lost our perspective. The world has skewed our perspective. So our inheritance is there. Also, our citizenship is there. Philippians 3.20, the Apostle Paul says, our citizenship is in where? Heaven. From where also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is there. We're citizens of that place. We belong there. Probably most of us here this morning are probably citizens of Redwood City. We probably live within the city limits of Redwood City. That makes us citizens of Redwood City. Now you can choose to respond to that in one of two ways. 
You can look at your citizenship and say, man, I've got to change this city and I'm going to get involved and just, you know, go down to City Hall at every meeting and just, you know, constantly let your voice be heard and, and all sorts of things going. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But I'll tell you what, that doesn't motivate me. Because <laughs> I'm looking at it going, oh, okay, you know what? I mean, I know I'm a citizen here, but really I'm not. <laughs> Everybody's in, going crazy about presidential election that's so far off. And, oh, what's going to happen if, you know what? You know, you know what's going to happen? I can tell the future. I'll tell you right now who's going to win the election. The person who the Lord wants to be president will be president. And nobody else. It's that simple. Well, then you say, well, do you just not get involved? No, I'm not saying that. I think every good Christian should be registered to vote and practice their citizenship duties and go down and vote for the best possible candidate, however you are so inclined. But you know what? There's not going to be the day after God up in heaven going, oh, no, what do I do now? It's not going to happen. See, sometimes we get so involved in this world, we think, boy, our citizenship's here. And, beloved, it's not. It's in heaven. That's what we should, we should be more concerned about who's going to be in heaven than who's going to be the president of the United States. And I'll tell you what, I talk to the average Christian, that's the last thing on their mind. We all lived in next, we all live next to neighbors, probably don't even know their name, half of them. We don't know if they're going to heaven or hell. We just kind of go on our life and do our thing and it doesn't concern us. Why? Because I think we got our, our skewed view of, of where our citizenship truly is. I told you that when we were away at the men's retreat and John talked about it too, is he asked the question, if, if this were the last day, or even the last week in your life, what would you do with it? It really depends on, I think, where you're at in life. It depends on where you're at with your physical health. It depends on where you're at in a lot of different things. Because we get so focused on this world, you know, we forget that you know, there is a real place called heaven, but there's also a real place called hell. And it's very real. And it's not where the buddies go to party, and that's not it. It's the total absence of God. And it's a place where the Bible describes it as a burning place for eternity. Where the flesh never really burns up, you just feel the effects of the fire. If you've ever been burned, even on your finger or on a stove or whatever, just a slight burn. You know how much that, that sensation hurts. You know how much that can cripple you just not to be able to do certain things. Can you imagine your whole body being engulfed in flames, sensing that terror, that horror, plus not being able to cry out to God any longer, nobody around, just hearing the, the wailing and gnashing of teeth the Bible describes it as. Utter torment. And we're not talking, well, I can hold out for a couple of days. We're talking for eternity, beloved. This is eternity we're talking about. We're talking about your eternal soul. You know, someone once asked somebody, made a proposition to him, and they said, uh, you know, you have two good eyes, right? Yeah, I'll give you a million dollars for your right eye. Just let me have it. I need it. I'm willing to pay you a million dollars if you give me your eye. I don't know about you, but I thought about that, and I thought, there's no way. No, I'm not giving up my eye, even though I got another one. I'm not, uh, why? Because it's precious to us. It's precious to us. See, the, the soul of a man or a woman is precious to God. It should be precious to us. We need to get our mind off of things down here and, and begin to think eternally and begin to realize that, you know what, there is a place called heaven, there's also a place called hell. And we need to do everything we can within our power to prevent people from going to hell. And that's to share the gospel, to share the good news of Christ. If you're here this morning and you, you've yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ, what are you waiting for? It's a no-brainer. It's not like rocket science. It's, okay, heaven, eternal bliss with God, all your sins forgiven, even supernatural help to live with the trials here on earth, or hell, 
eternity, totally removed from God, as a just payment for your sins, you're going to be doomed to hell forever. Total absence from God, burning fire, sulfur, all that stuff. What would you choose? It's common sense. And yet, something within us resists that choice. Something within us holds back. I pray that God would move your heart to open your eyes to embrace a loving Savior. God isn't there to ruin your fun. He's not going to rain on your parade. He's not up there with a big hammer saying, oh, good, now you're mine. I'm going to squash it like a bug. God wants your best. He knows you better than any. He knows you better than yourself. And he desires for you to put your faith, your trust in him. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650 650- 366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.